0: Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids.
1: Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see
0: Understanding of the natural world and what's in it is a source of not only a great curiosity, but great fulfillment. And this is from David Atborough, the TV presenter from BBC that we all know and love. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We are a program by, for, and with creative young people, a platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Brigitte Gia, and today's show is all about the gift of animals.
3: And I'm Jovan Hundle. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Please visit www.bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible don- donation and get more information about how you can be a part of our mission to increase literacy and positive message media. It's always a season for giving, so give big. And in this segment, my fellow co-host Brigitte will be discussing how to raise the quality of life of animals in your own community. Take it away, Brigitte.
0: Thanks, Jovan. So today I'll be going over some of the mistakes that inexperienced pet owners may accidentally make and ways that you can avoid making these mistakes and how to mitigate the effects neglect and mistreatment may have on household animals and other animals in your community. Here are some common myths that have been the causes behind really an animal's mistreatment or neglect. And so the first one I'm going to start off with is the misconception that cats are solitary creatures and they enjoy, you know, uh, home like alone time, staying home alone and just really they don't like humans at all. Um, But that's not true. Um, The website Vet Street actually states that separation can be very stressful for cats and leaving them at home alone can cause certain behavioral patterns uh, that are not great for the cat and not great for your home either. Uh, specifically, separation anxiety may manifest in behaviors such as urination and defecation outside of the litter box, vocalizations so a lot of meowing, a lot of cries, uh, vomiting, excessive grooming, lack of appetite, anxiety at departure or an exuberant greeting when you return, and to keep your cat happy and to keep your ha- cat content. Uh, it's essential to really limit greeting when you return to kind of make it a more like routine thing. And it's also essential to limit their time alone and provide them with stimulation and interaction in the form of play, petting, food, toys, and perches. There's another misconception that cats only purr when they are pleased or excited. And studies actually show that cats purr at different frequencies for the purpose of conveying different emotions or even like healing their own bodies. We see that purrs really can't be considered a true communicative vocalization because they don't actually communicate specific messages um, and they don't actually tell others what the cat really wants to say. The cat uses purring. Uh, for things other than a specific message. Like they use purrs for a lot of things to communicate different messages and different emotions. And purrs fall between around 25 and 150 Hertz. So we see that there's a wide range of different purrs that can be used to communicate different things that can be used um, as different functions really for the cat. And so purring is actually shown to be a self form of like self healing. Because cats purr when they're in pain, giving birth, even dying. And cats who fall from buildings and tall places actually have a 90% chance of survival, most likely, or at least partly, due to purring. Um, This is because purring really provides physical therapy. Exposure to low-level frequency has been shown to increase bone density. And a cat's purring, actually, like the frequency of the purring, falls right into that low-level range. And there's... There's really kind of two different ways to um, treat yourself and, like, you know, go through physical therapy. Humans, we don't purr and we can't produce these low frequencies. So we have to get up and move around in order to go through physical therapy and recover bone density, you know, um, heal from whatever injuries that we've gotten ourselves um, afflicted with. But a cat can simply purr at a certain frequency. And that will help it recover from whatever injuries it sustained from its cat adventures. Um, and so we see that purrs are not really communicative, uh, or they are to a certain extent communicative, but they're not characterized as a specific like, message towards a human owner that a cat will give. They're more just kind of a general sound that cats make um, with a variety of functions. There's another myth that cats should be given milk or cream frequently or daily as a part of their diet, which is a falsehood in itself because adult cats, uh, like most adult animals, are actually lactose intolerant and they will get diarrhea if you give them milk or cream. Uh, A lot of animals, again, usually develop lactose intolerance after youth, after they've been nursed, uh, a lot of mammals especially. And so milk and cream are not great for cats in their adult lives. Um, There's also a myth that, kind of tying in with the first one that I said, that cats are really instinctively aloof and they don't warm easily to other creatures, but that's definitely not true. Cats have a lot of different individual personalities, you know, it depends on the cat. Uh, It doesn't depend on the species, and their characters shouldn't be generalized in such a kind of, you know, awful way. And you can definitely adopt a cat whose personality really fits yours. Uh, They have all sorts of different cats who are out there and who need a home. And all cats are really lovable, and they have their own distinct character traits. All right, uh, moving on to dogs. Uh, This is... Uh, this is less of, um, something that you have to pay attention to in your own home if you're a, a pet owner or, um, something that specifically affects individual dogs. But there's a misconception that purebred dogs are the best kind of dogs, quote, quote. Um, but actually dog breeds are really artificially created by kind of the selective crossbreeding process that humans have kind of put forth for millennia. And, Collective crossbreeding kind of builds features in animal offspring, and it like began very early on, but the process really accelerated during the 19th century, and it created specific categorizations that are now classified in the modern world as breeds. So... You know it's not inherently bad for a dog to be a purebred you know dogs are adorable no matter what breed they are but sometimes maintaining these characteristics of a certain breed can actually be uh, quite harmful to the dogs because breeders will interbreed dogs with family members and the offspring produced may have increased susceptibility to certain diseases and you know certain other traits that are harmful towards the dog and a dog is actually in its healthy state when it's not a specific breed. Um, but then again, you know, all dogs are adorable. You definitely shouldn't be you know, not adopting a dog because of its purebred status or anything ridiculous like that. Uh, all dogs deserve a home. It is, however, a method of bringing out certain traits in the dog, in the individual um, member of the species. That's not as great because it does encourage interbreeding amongst family members. Uh, There is also a myth that shelter dogs are either dirty or diseased or they just have some sort of problem that landed them in this shelter, which is absolutely not true. They don't, you know, not every shelter dog is going to have behavioral issues or some sort of disease. Many, you know, often they're just pets without a home. They haven't been able to secure a family that will take care of them. And so Shelter dogs, once brought to a facility, will have their standard shots um, given to them by a trained veterinarian. They will be looked at and they'll go through training to get rid of their behavioral issues if they have any. And they're definitely, you know, behavioral issues are not a characteristic that is always touted by shelter dogs. So we see that a lot of these misconceptions are very, very rough on cats and dogs, and There are also more misconceptions that really affect other, like, smaller pets as well. The kind of idea that bunnies specifically have a short lifespan is very common amongst, you know, um, this society, I suppose. And they actually have an average lifespan of about 8 to 12 years. And they're not easy pets. But we see that a lot of parents, a lot of moms and dads, are getting bunnies for their kids, really and saying, oh, don't worry, it'll die in about a year. And then they're left with a bunny that will keep growing and keep living for, you know, past a decade. And so what they'll end up doing is taking these bunnies back to an animal shelter and just leaving them in the parking lot. So it can be very, very harmful, some of these misconceptions to the animals that are involved, um, that have been handled by people who believe in these misconceptions. And it's just very sad sometimes because you'll come across a lot of good animals who are you know very lovable, they're they've got great personalities. All they need is a home. but some of these misconceptions have either ousted them from their homes or you know have contributed to behavioral issues, have contributed to them not getting adopted, all of these awful things. And it's, it's kind of sad, you know, um, that we have some of these misconceptions about animals, and we definitely need to make sure to educate people about these misconceptions and about the actual facts in order to make sure that our community animals are really healthy.
3: Yeah, 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 because all of this, as you said, is very commonly accepted knowledge. And it's really interesting how so much of this actually isn't true at all. And so, out of curiosity then, um, did you yourself learn any of these, maybe through any pets of your own?
0: Uh, I didn't, but um, I, you know, I watch a lot of, like, cute animal videos on YouTube, and I also just started volunteering at an animal shelter, and one of the first things they really do is kind of give you a synopsis of some of these, you know, misconceptions that will come up when you're talking to people who want to adopt a dog or a cat, uh, or bring in animals that they don't think they can take care of, and they'll train you how to really give out the true facts to people instead of going along with the misconception uh, that's there already. So that's kind of nice, you know, that's where I picked up some of these.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: And Jobin, do you do you have a pet at home that maybe you know has taught you about some of these misconceptions as well?
3: Y- you know, unfortunately, I actually haven't ever had a pet in my life. You know, my
2: parents cool. are <laughs> sort of yeah.
3: in that regard, and my mom actually is allergic to a few of these animals, especially cats, and so that's definitely an issue. But this was a very fascinating segment, and I thank you for sharing all this info. And Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Support our show and these amazing segments by donating to the Be The Star You Are charity that brings you this program. For more info on how to do this, go to www.bethestarur.org and follow our blog. I'm Jovan Hundle.
0: And I'm Brigitte Chia. More information is at our website at bethestarur.org. Don't go anywhere as we continue our discussion about the gift of animals. I'm Brigitte Gia, and you are listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids Network, brought to you by the Be The Star You Are charity. For this segment, we are discussing the gift of animals.
3: And I'm Jovan Hundle. Today, we have special guest, Daniel McKinnon, author of Animal Lessons, Discovering Your Spiritual Connection with Animals. With us, Danielle is a highly gifted, intuitive coach who has appeared on TV and on radio around the world. She's also an esteemed faculty member at the Omega Institute and the Kripalu Center, as well as other globally recognized teaching and wellness institutions. Her school, the Daniel McKinnon School of Animal Communication, has helped to make the field of animal communication more globally visible than ever. Hi, Daniel.
4: Hi, hi Joven, how
3: are you guys? Oh, we're doing great. So we wanted to ask you, first of all, how exactly did you get started in this line of work?
4: Um I know it's a weird line of work to be in. It's not ever what I planned to be in. <laughs> um, yeah, my family still thinks it's a bit weird. I, uh, I was in the corporate world, and I was doing marketing, and I was kind of being a project manager, and it was all it was all okay, but I didn't love it. And then my dog got sick. And I um, kind of randomly met a friend who said, well, why don't you take her to the pet psychic? And my dog was really, really sick. Like, we thought she was going to die. And she was young. She was only, she's probably like seven or eight months old. And for for a puppy to get that sick is really crazy. So we took her. Well, we. I say I took her to meet this pet psychic. And, and I didn't really know what a pet psychic was. Like, I, I had an idea, but I didn't know much about it. I didn't know if it could even be real because I'd grown up with a family that said that kind of stuff, intuition and psychic stuff, wasn't real. But I was really, really excited. So I brought my dog and my husband and and me to meet this pet psychic. And he ended up um, nailing exactly what was going on he talked with her actually he didn't talk with her he looked at her he looked at me he looked at my husband and then he looked at her and he looked at me and looked at my husband and then he goes okay so she's sick because she ate corn cobs because she's anxious since you and your husband have been fighting about your mother and he was totally right and basically from that moment on I don't even know what he said in the rest of the reading for me from that moment on I've been in and I was like I've got to be an animal communicator I've got to do this work This is my thing I'm in so uh yeah (laughs) I was all I was all in at that time Oh
0: my gosh, that's that is quite the origin story. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so Danielle, as you know as an animal psychic yourself, um, how have you found that animals can really help someone evolve evolve? because you 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 mentioned that you and your husband, you know, had a little bit of a conflict at the time and, and the puppy got sick. Uh, yeah. Did you guys, you know, Um, Did your pet help you guys kind of like resolve that conflict in any
4: way? Well, where she helped me evolve, my puppy who got sick, was by bringing me to be in front of the... By getting sick, basically, where I met the pet psychic and that opened me up. Um, Animals always are... They're all... In every single interaction you have with an animal, there's an opportunity to learn and evolve. Like, it's if you can consider... Every single animal you meet to be like your teacher, then you're you're doing well because you can learn from the animals. So many people forget. They don't think of the animals as teachers. They think of them as, I need to help. I need to rescue. These guys need me. And, of course, they do. So many animals are in the human world. But we need them because they're bringing out in us things that we don't necessarily want to deal with to make us grow and evolve. So I forgot exactly what your question was, Brigitte. I'm sorry. No worries. <laughs> what was it? Or did I answer it?
0: Yeah, that was that was a great answer. That was oh, a better okay. answer than I could have hoped for with the original intention of my question. Um, Very cool. That's, no, that is, like, incredible, because I often I see a lot of posts online about, like, you know, they say, like, animals are too good for us, you know, we've got so many issues, and they're just, they're so great and adorable and understanding, and you know, that saying uh, was like, dog is a man's best friend, and like other animals as well, of course, Um, I guess that definitely rings true.
4: Yeah, when I talk with the animals psychically, I mean, they're always telling me, we have mastered unconditional love, we love ourselves, we don't have a problem loving ourselves, it's people who have a problem loving self theirsel- themselves. So animals kind of have taken this on as their job. They're here to help us learn to truly love ourselves, to accept ourselves. Like you don't see an animal with an eating disorder, you don't see an animal who feels bad about himself because he can't climb that tree. You know, we are the ones who do that. Animals have it down. So, yeah, I'm totally with you. Dogs man best friend. Like they 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 get it and they want us to get it.
3: Oh, that was, oh that's a that's, very interesting perspective. Yeah. And so, have you always had like a sort of connection or were you always kind of drawn to animals even from a young age?
4: Yes, as um really really young. I've always I think at one point I had 28 hamsters, two birds, a guinea pig, a (laughs) rabbit, and a dog, (laughs) and and 33 caterpillars, because I had a real thing for caterpillars. So So, yeah, I've been drawn to animals my whole life, but I was looked at like the weird person you know, my mom was kind of like, you need to chill out. She's like, they wouldn't, my mom wouldn't let me go to the mall because there was a pet store in the mall and I'd walk into the pet store and I'd stand there and cry because I could feel all of the animals' pain, right? So my mom was like, "Danielle, you're being way too sensitive. You need to calm down. And But she just thought I was overly sensitive. But really, I was picking up on this. It's um, It was a little hard to be me as a little kid.
0: <laughs> I just, no, like... Stop owning so many caterpillars. Right. Like, you know, they, they, you know, caterpillars are, I mean, like, caterpillars especially, you know, you've got that whole, like, oh, this is a little off topic, but, you know, you've got that whole, like, chrysalis transformation thing, and that... It just represents a lot in life, I feel like. You see that a lot in, like, poetry, and, you know, you can learn a lot about caterpillars and, like, from caterpillars.
4: (laughs) Except I was weird for having caterpillars, so I was learning from the caterpillars, but nobody else was. They just thought I was weird.
0: (laughs) And then, you know, like, maybe in high school you analyze a poem about caterpillars, and then (laughs) you'd be like, damn, look at that. See, (laughs) these caterpillars help. (laughs) So, um... (laughs) <laughs> Going off that real quick, uh, you mentioned earlier that um, you know people always want to quote unquote help animals. You know, like get involved and kind of rescue them from situations. Yep. But like, how how can animals like really rescue us? Like, how can we how can we fully listen to animals? Should we? Uh, always go to uh, an animal psychic like you, or should we kind of try and open our eyes and ears to whatever the animal is trying to tell us directly?
4: Okay, so let me just first make clear, there's nothing wrong with rescuing animals. I do it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I am all over that. But I rescue them knowing that they're my teacher, knowing that each one that I rescue is going to have something to teach me about myself. So to answer the second part of your question... I just want to make sure that you knew, I think, rescuing yeah, is awesome. yeah. Okay. And then the, <laughs> the second part of your question was about um, how do animals do this? So the way an animal can teach you is, I'll give the example of my dog, Bella. Um, when we first got my dog, Bella. Uh, she, I was working on becoming an animal communicator, but I didn't totally believe in myself. I didn't believe that I was good enough. So here's Bella. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be this great animal communicator. I'm putting myself out there as a professional. And yet my dog is jumping on everybody. When people come to the door, my dog is just being insane and it would make me feel bad about myself. So what I started, what I realized from talking with Bella, since I was intuitive at that time, was she was doing that to, give me an opportunity to look at my own emotions look at the feelings that were coming up and work with them so through her I started working on those feelings of not feeling good enough and the better I felt about myself the less Bella jumped on people so she helped me evolve does that make sense
0: yeah yeah and like I I, there are so many different stories yeah yours included and yeah, I, you know, when I go online and I search up, like, comforting animal stories in this time of political turmoil, and you yes. get so many of these inspiring stories, you know, just like, um, or these scientific studies, even, where animals have been shown to kind of be able to interpret What humans are going through, and you know, the issues that we face in our daily lives, and kind of take those and really bring them to the human's kind of awareness. And so, I think, yeah, I think your story is definitely a perfect example for our read, for our audience, especially to kind of understand that animals are there to help us and really teach us. What we're doing wrong in our lives,
4: and oh, that's, that's a really nice what story. We learn, <laughs> what we can learn in our lives—maybe not what we're doing wrong, but how we can. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and ideas that are coming out lately that are like science. Uh, you know, this this study proves that animals have emotions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, of course, do, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so science still feels a little bit behind. Like, they're all excited about things that I think a lot of us just know. You know, I live in the world of animal emotions. So, sorry, I just wanted to bring that up because you were talking about uh, science catching up. Or science, Yeah, <laughs> it's there, but it's a little behind. <laughs> they're, they're kind of... I'm still well, so kind, kind of
3: going off of go what ahead, you just that, said yeah. about, you know, like, animal emotions specifically then... So, like, when you are, you know, going through your process and communicating with these animals, so on mm-hmm. the other side of the exchange, what do you think the animal is going through? Do they understand what you're doing or what, how they're helping us people? Or what do you think is going on there?
4: Oh, they 100% understand. They talk to me just like you guys talk to me. They can have conversations. They'll also show me pictures and give me feelings and emotions and, and things like that. But they totally get it. Like, Annals, your, your dog could tell you about the stock market. I know that makes me sound crazy, but <laughs> your dog could intuitively talk with you about the stock market, but your dog doesn't care to because animals know what's really important they're more into the big picture they're more into that evolution than they are into the day-to-day minutiae when you talk with an animal at this deep level they want to go to well why don't you feel good about yourself or why are you anxious or why are you pushing yourself this hard versus okay so you're worried about money or you're worried about your boyfriend or whatever the thing is they're they're more interested in that bigger deeper stuff yeah definitely and oh wow I know, I know I know a <laughs> person, I know it. <laughs> I mean it makes sense
0: cuz we're we're kind of fixated really on materialistic things and we we have the idea that that is quote unquote more advanced than like what animals feel but Really, they probably have the bigger picture, and we're still stuck. Like science, we're kind of behind here. Yeah, Um, nailed
4: it. totally nailed it. They've got the big picture, and we are, yeah, we miss it a lot of the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. human intelligence, <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> little sketch. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Danielle, for that amazing conversation. We'll definitely be continuing in the next segment. For this segment, though, unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, audience, to learn more about Danielle and animal lessons, go to www.Danielle McKinnon, spelled uh, M-A-C-K-I-N-N-O-N, and visit her Facebook page at facebook.com slash intuitive Danielle. During the break, please visit our radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com for photos, descriptions, links, blogs, and more. We will be, again, continuing our, in our conversation, so stay tuned. I'm Brigitte Gia.
3: And I'm Jovan Hundle. Please visit our charity site at bethestaryouare.org and watch our fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash are. Stay right here as we continue our fascinating discussion for today's theme, The Gift of Animals.
1: On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at be the We don't care
0: how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids.
3: I'm Jovan Hundle. Our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. For this segment of Express Yourself, we are continuing our fantastic conversation about the gift of animals.
0: I'm Brigitte Gia. In this segment, we have, again, Danielle McKinnon back with us to discuss our theme. Named one of the country's best psychic mediums and one of the top 100 American astrologers and psychics, Danielle is one of the country's most popular teachers on soul contracts, animal communication, and reconnecting to your best self. As a highly sought-after intuitive, she challenges people to rethink their beliefs about themselves, and her unconventional skills allow her to enlighten, enliven, and excite others as they use her insight to make lasting, positive change in their lives. Every year, Danielle leads thousands of people through the challenges and into a world of miraculous possibility.
3: And here's a blurb about her amazing book, Animal Lessons, Discovering Your Spiritual Connection with Animals. All around us, animals are acting as our therapists, trainers, mentors, and gurus, but only if we pay attention. Through their misbehaviors, challenges, and unwavering love, animals are conscientiously guiding us to the next step in our personal journey. Animal Lessons, a first-of-its-kind book, shows you how to understand and benefit from this incredible phenomenon. Having worked deeply and intuitively with animals for the past 17 years, Danielle McKinnon shares her own step-by-step process, along with tools and techniques for tapping into these revelations. With that, let's welcome our star guest, Danielle, back onto the show. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Danielle. Hi, guys.
4: Thanks for having me.
3: Going back off to what we were talking about in the previous segment then, so can you sort of kind of work us through your process exactly? Like, how exactly are you able to communicate with these animals? (laughs) (laughs) Is it just some sort of different perspective that the others of us don't have when looking at our pets or something like that?
4: So, um, for, for for the book, you don't have to be psychic to, to do the, to learn the lesson. So in the book, Mm -hmm. it's really about uh, observing the animal and observing your relationship and getting to know it. Uh, and I give step-by-step instructions for that. But when I'm working intuitively with an animal, it's a different, it's a different story. So when I work intuitively I connect into the animal, and I'm really connecting to the animal. I'm not not connecting to, like, angels or spirits or something. I'm actually connecting intuitively to the animal. And then the animal can share with me information, and that information will come to me through pictures, or little movies in my head I'll hear words or phrases sometimes a few sentences but usually it's words or short phrases I will um, smell things that the animal wants me to smell that's always a fun one and (laughs) yeah imagine an animal wanting to tell you about his stomach upset by giving you a certain smell (laughs) you know that's not very fun And then I will get feelings and emotions from the animal or animals can show me in my body how their body feels. So I'll ask the animal to show me in my body what's going on and my right shoulder will start hurting or perhaps the animal is kind of blind. So my eyesight will become really like foggy and it's just the animal's way of showing me, hey, here's what's going on with my body. And then the the last way, and this is a way that I work with a lot, is sometimes the animal will just give me a brain dump. It's kind of like when you get an um like an update to your app on your phone, you know, it just kind of goes (laughs) like doom, it's suddenly there. And so I don't know where the information came from, but I suddenly know all this stuff from the animal. So that's really how the information comes through.
0: That's that's incredible. I wish I had that ability. I you know yeah it's it's kind of hard for us to believe in things you mentioned like oh you know angels spirits that kind of thing it's a little difficult for me personally to believe in that but like like the intuitive connection between you and the animal i have i like just now i thought like i have an easier time like really (laughs) trusting that because it's it's so you know um humans and animals have kind of had that connection who were animals ourselves right and so We've, we've had that connection, definitely, like, most common people don't really have it on the level that you do, but, you know, we as humans are connected to animals in, like, a very, you know, natural way, and it's way easier for me to believe, you know, in your intuitive powers and, you know, your ability to really connect with the animal, because it's, it's real, and <laughs> maybe it's just me, <laughs> but, like... <laughs>
4: And no, I agree. I actually feel the same way. I, I don't work with, you know, you hear people talk about angels and spirits and things like that. And that's not really my thing. My thing is I can connect intuitively to an animal or a person because I'm also a, a, like a regular, like a normal psychic. <laughs> if there is such a thing as a normal psychic. <laughs> um, so, but either way, I'm connecting into that that person or that animal to get the information. For me, it's just more direct. It's more clear. I trust it more. So I know exactly what you're saying. think Great. Ooh, I was worried for a second there. I was just blathering. With, <laughs> oh, no. and I will say, though, one thing that you said was I wish I could do that or I wish I had that ability. And um, I'm going to say that everybody has this ability. When I teach people in my school, everybody can do it. And they have the best time doing it. The hardest part is just trusting that you're actually doing it and you're not making it up in your head. But once you can kind of go, all right, I feel like I'm making it up, but I'm going to see what I got anyway, it becomes really fun. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely yeah, yeah. So,
0: Danielle, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you get animals who will tell you certain things or, like, certain things that they're feeling, and you'll get animals who will just give you an entire, you know, their entire, like... Emotional and physical state, um, and kind of like a brain dump. And so, what kinds of animals do you typically work with the most? You know, is it the the first or the second?
4: (laughs) I work with dogs. Dogs and cats are probably the most common, just because you know people have them as pets and and that's you know people love their dogs and their cats and so those are the people (laughs) who are going to pay to bring their animal to me to talk with them but I work with horses and rabbits and ferrets and mice and goldfish and insects and you know you name it I've probably worked with that kind of animal (laughs) there isn't um so you would think oh it can it's only going to be the big animals or it's only going to be you know the mammals but I have had incredible connections with fish like a simple goldfish who you think is not going to be very impressive or aware and yet that goldfish actually blew my mind and I did the reading on the goldfish in front of like 150 people and the goldfish blew everybody's mind with what he had to say to his person it was really cool they get it it doesn't matter how big the animal is, they get that they want to help us. They want to help humanity evolve.
3: Right, right. And so I actually want to go back to something we were talking about a little in the previous segment where, um, you know, we were talking about how such, in such a materialistic society that us humans have, the sorts of pets allow us to, you know, kind of look at the bigger picture about what's really affecting each and every one of us. And so there's definitely some psychological benefits for owners then. When they have their animals, their pets, but so for the pets and animals themselves, um, I remember you were saying that, you know, they can give you smells or some sort of messages to tell you what they're thinking, but are there any sort of noticeable changes like psychologically or anything like that for the animals after you communicate with them? So
4: after I communicate with them, no, they're kind of like, cool, I gave my message and I'm moving on. Um, but, <laughs> when, you know, but when you're actually like doing the work in the book, which is working with what the animal is teaching you, you're working in conjunction with the animal, um, let's say you're an anxious person and your animal is helping you learn how not to be anxious. Right. So, and so as you get less and less anxious, you see the animal change as well. Perhaps this animal was being anxious. Perhaps it's your dog and your dog is acting really, really anxious to show you, Hey, this is how anxious you are. And it's kind of sucky. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this is, I'm, I'm mirroring this for you. So as you stop being anxious or be less and less anxious, that dog's going to be less and less anxious as well. So yeah, there's absolutely when you're working on the lesson. There's absolutely a change in the relationship between the person and the animal, and there are changes in the animal as well. If the animal's in your life, if it's like an an elephant on social media, probably not. (laughs) You're not living with that animal and able to see all the things the animal's going through, but when the animal's close to you, yeah, 100% changes.
0: Wow, oh, that is yeah. Cause they're conveying something to you uh, through their behavior, I guess, and then yep. it, and then yep. you like you you change that aspect, and then it's like, oh, okay, I no longer need to convey that message to you.
4: Got it. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, and then what they'll do is, as you're getting it, as you get the message, they're they're changing their behavior to be more positive usually. If you fall off the wagon and you start getting anxious again, then the dog's going to go back to being anxious again as well. And so every message does not come through in mirroring like that. Like sometimes it'll be a really anxious person with a totally laid back cat. And the cat seems so lazy to the person, right? And I talk to the cat, and the cat will be like, well, she's really super anxious. I'm showing her what it would be like if she had some zen. You know, I'm modeling zen for her. So now it's up to the um, the person to work on their anxiety so that when they can have a closer relationship with the animal. Did that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's like, um, no, it's... Uh, I just thought of something really interesting is that um, I, I've started working at an animal shelter and, like, the first thing they kind of teach you, like, they give you this seminar, the first thing they teach you is that um, you kind of, like, dictate... The Or, like, you kind of dictate the animal's behavior where there's, you know, you are completely, which is, again, like, as you said, animal shelters are definitely, you know, they're great places, they're helping animals, but it's just... This weird, like, disconnect between the messages that I learned in the seminar
4: that they gave us and what you're saying now. Is in the- no, 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 there's not actually. You dictate the behavior in the sense that if you go in there and you're all anxious, you're going to set off a lot of those animals to be like, oh, she's really anxious. We need to show her how not to be anxious. So a lot of them are going to get hyped up and they're going to be anxious as well. No, it's totally in, in alignment, actually
0: good okay because I was like one that's good that's good I was wondering which one like w- what do I do now with these two messages that yeah that definitely makes more sense yeah. <laughs> in that it kind of <laughs> I was like what's going
4: on and so yeah, they're all going to react to you
0: and so just to take it into like well, maybe a little bit of a sadder tone, there's um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's um, a lot of owners are very scared, you know, when, when their pets are nearing the end of their lifespans and they think, oh no, I'm never going to be able to respond to this animal, I'm never going to, you know, it's going to end. And so is it all over when your pet dies, when an animal, you know, finishes their cycle on the mortal world?
4: According to the animals, no. According to the animals, they reincarnate with us. And I talk to animals all the time who have died. And it's still, it's no big deal. You can still connect with them. They still give information. They still hang out with their people. They come and go. Like, it's not all over at all. <laughs> I know it sounds really, cra- I know I sound like a crazy person saying, Yeah, I talk to animals who have died all the time. But <laughs> I think you get what I'm saying,
3: right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and thanks so much, Danielle, for this wonderful conversation. (laughs) Unfortunately, we are out of time. Check out Danielle and her work at www.daniellemccannon.com. McKinnon is spelled M-A-C-K-I-N-N-O-N. And visit her Facebook page at facebook.com slash intuitive Danielle. During the break, be sure to check out our charity site at btsya.org which stands for Be The Star You Are, a 501c3 literacy and positive media charity. And there's more info under events at our website at www.bethestarur.org. I'm Jovan Hundle.
0: I'm Gia. Please visit expressyourselfteenradio.com for more information about our show. When we come back, we will continue our inspiring conversation on the gift of animals.
3: Our program is Express Yourself. I'm Jovan Hundle, and today's hour is about the gift of animals.
0: I'm Brigitte Gia. In this segment, Jovan will be going over a few different topics relating to animals that are of interest to him and hopefully to all of you. Take it away, Jovan.
3: Thanks. As Brigitte said, I wanted to devote this animal-themed edition of my segment, World Watch, to various stories centering around animals and the natural world that have fascinated me over the years. Now, I recently read about a very interesting topic that scientists are still looking into, the African Paradox, which revolves around megafauna. The term megafauna has a few different definitions. It can refer to any large animal or just ones that meet specific criteria. In this case, it it refers to exceptionally large land mammals that have certainly not been tamed. Africa is famous for its megafauna, such as elephants, giraffes, rhinoceroses, and hippopotamuses, and yes, that's the correct plural form, Uh, big cats, and many, many others. (laughs) But in the Americas, we can't necessarily boast the same biodiversity of megafauna. We definitely do have our fair share of bison, bears, cougars, and the like. However, both the number of megafauna species that we have and the number of individual megafauna we have here both pale to continents like Africa and Asia. But here's the thing. The Americas actually did used to have far more megafauna. As far-fetched as some of these sound, in prehistoric times, the Americas actually had dire wolves, lions bigger than Africa, saber-toothed tigers, wooly mammoths, beavers that were eight feet long, and giant sloths that were actually the size of elephants. However, all of these listed, as well as many others, have all died out now, and researchers are still trying to figure out why they have died out, while so many of Africa's megafauna have stayed alive to the present day. And it'll be interesting in the coming years if scientists can indeed figure out the reasoning behind this African paradox, as this info could surely fill in some gaps in these prehistoric times that we know so little about. And the next issue that I would like to touch upon is actually a very sad one. Now, there's a common myth that many of us have surely heard of, that you can see the Great Wall of China from space. And this is actually incorrect, but there are certainly a few other famous structures you can see from space. And one of them is Australia's famous Great Barrier Reef. We've known that the Great Barrier Reef has been in danger for many years thanks to climate change. In fact, in the past 30 years, climate change has actually led to the Great Barrier Reef losing around half of its coral. And as I'm sure you can all imagine, a coral reef losing half of its coral is devastating to the ecosystem. The coral is the entire lifeblood of the e- entire ecosystem there, and so this means that the region's bi- biodiversity is in a lot of danger. The region has humpback whales, as well as 30 other species of whales and dolphins, crocodiles, dugongs, which are similar to manatees, sea turtles, sea eagles, clownfish, and tons and tons of others. Many of these species are also, unfortunately, threatened or endangered thanks to poaching or, the, or climate change destroying its ecosystem. And so, as the Great Barrier Reef gets slowly and slowly more destroyed, this certainly isn't helping. Now, I did want to end this segment on a bit of a positive note, though, and talk about a success story in conservation efforts. Whenever you see mentions of animals being named threatened or endangered, sit up and take note, because there's definitely a chance that if conservation efforts are dedicated to those species, they could always make a resounding return. Now, the giant panda has been one of the most recognizable and popular animals in the world for decades now. You'll see stuffed animals or pictures of these animals just about everywhere you go. Formerly, giant pandas were considered endangered, and their habitat was shrinking. Since their diet mandates tons and tons of bamboo, and they don't live off much else, and they are an endemic species, in other words, they are only native to China, their numbers have been dwindling for years. However, with China spending government money to open up various reserves, as well as international support, giant pandas have been able to make a comeback and so they've gotten over a 1,000 new giant pandas in the past 15 years alone, and they have now been upgraded from an endangered species to a vulnerable species. This is a huge step forward and could eventually lead to them not being threatened at all. Anyway, these have just been some animal-related topics that interested me while learning about them, and I thought they'd be absolutely perfect to talk about for this show.
0: Uh, definitely. Um, I, I really like how you put uh, a bit of like the the kind of... Guys, Great Barrier Reef—it's dying because it—you know—the you know—we <laughs> you know, have a lot of carbon emissions, and that that kind of contributes to our like algae population, which then is right, right. upon the coral reefs. And the thing that's important about that, you know, it's great that you mentioned the barrier reef, and you know, like talked about kind of how a lot of coral reefs are dying. Is that you know, forty percent of the world's population, human-wise, like the world's human population uh, gets its protein from the oceans, from the fishing industry. And so when we take away this biodiversity, corals are dying because of um, algae growth due to uh, CO2 emissions, then we see that these fish are dying, that people as well will be affected. So this isn't just, Oh, oh yeah, right? Like this isn't just on the other side of the world some random little little structures are going away this is impactful to 40% of the human population this is yeah the yeah. yeah and like oceans are key to the world's biodiversity and we need these coral reefs and it's great that you were able to mention that and really bring it to the kind kind of like the front of um, your segment as well. And I definitely agree with you that conservation efforts uh, can be very successful. and you know, giant panda and then you've got like California Condor who was I, I think it was almost, it was just hunted down
3: yeah
0: yeah yeah and then like bald eagle as well (laughs) our national bird was hunted (laughs) almost (laughs) to extinction but then we brought it back and that's that's definitely a great way to kind of remind everybody that hey there's still you know there's still hope we can still work on saving saving our species and so Jordan are there Oh, yeah, go ahead, definitely.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, and how you were talking about how um, so many of these environmental issues that people don't think affect us actually do, you know, another thing that that can be applied to is deforestation. You know, obviously, oh. that um, that plants and animals do have... a mutualistic cycle where we give them carbon dioxide they give us oxygen and so when we cut down our forests, especially the amazon forest losing so much ground over the years then this is really going to come back to bite us in the butt if we don't have Mm -hmm. oxygen
0: exactly and like you know not only that the trees are storing up years and years like thousands of years worth of know carbon dioxide which gets released when you burn these trees down and then definitely it's destroying the ecosystems It's just absolutely awful and you know there's there's a species speaking of africa um uh, like the giraffe a lot of people think that it's at the forefront of you know like animal species in general that there are a lot of giraffes because it's such a symbolic Species, But in fact, giraffes are fast, you know, they're losing their habitats, they're being hunted for meat, they're, they're, they've slipped onto the endangered list. And we don't realize that because we think they're a prevalent species um, just in terms of like, you know, uh, right, a lot right. of, yeah, like they're used as logos and stuff. But it's, it's awful. A lot of well-known species are dying out because we haven't been careful with the way we're treating this earth. And so, anyway, moving back onto your segment, Jovan, are there any theories behind the African paradox that scientists are actually currently exploring?
3: Yeah, so there have been a lot of different theories over the years. You know, we've obviously uncovered fossils of all these different megafauna that were in the Americas, so there have been theories over the years, and right now there are only two prevalent ones that haven't been disproved yet. Number one, there's a theory about hunters, actually, when they came to the bearing straight from Asia into the Americas, a series about hunters actually overhunting. And so some thought that the number of humans there would be far too little to make an impact over all of these different species on the entire continent. However, uh, there were various computer simulations ran online which showed that this could have actually happened. We don't know for sure if it did, but it could have. And so another theory out there is that there was a comet sort of along the lines of what ended up killing the dinosaurs. That's another theory out there, but nothing has actually been conclusively proved.
0: Yeah, so there's there's these two still plausible theories. I think that kind of, you know, ties in with what we were talking about earlier. Hunter's humans have kind of a big impact on the Earth that we sometimes don't realize. And so, kind of connecting with that, uh, Jovan, are there any attempts to save the Great Barrier Reef from its current path? Yeah, so there
3: have actually been a lot of different um, efforts to save the Great Barrier Reef. You know, it's a national landmark of Australia. The big issue, though, is that We haven't actually poured in all the resources into these efforts that we actually could. You know, it's actually very devastating, but a month ago, scientists in Australia actually testified to the government there that at our current pace, the Great Barrier Reef cannot actually be saved. You know, there will be small pockets, of course, that will continue to live on, but if we keep not putting in all the effort that we could, we we won't actually be able to save it.
0: Yeah, you know, we're getting a lot of messages um, along those lines uh, where you keep getting told, like, this is a brink scenario. This is where it stops. Right. You know, there's After this, it's the point of no return. And a lot of people are going about their daily lives unaware. And, you know, the sad thing about um, just pollution and climate change, global warming... Is that a lot of the times the biggest countries who are emitting most of these, you know, just like emitting a lot of carbon, um, releasing a lot of gases into the air, and maybe indirectly causing deforestation, a lot of the bigger countries are not going to feel these effects And you're going to see, we're seeing already, like, the Pacific Islanders from some of these tiny countries out in the middle of the ocean. They're getting flooded, and then we're seeing all of these animals losing their homes, being hunted. It's just, it's so saddening, and I feel like it's weird because our current political atmosphere has really distracted us from that. Although it's a lot of it is about things like the Paris Accords and all different sorts of environmental agreements. But I think we, you know, as you said, we really need to focus all our efforts in. And maybe as these scientists were saying, like, it it might be too late. And definitely at at the rate we're going at right now, I don't... I don't know what can be done, but maybe (laughs) if we just put everything into it. And so, again, tying kind of into this, uh, Joven, what lessons can we really learn from the successes of giant panda conservation?
3: Uh, That's a good question. So, the biggest thing about the biggest success relating to giant panda conservation was just awareness. You know, everyone knew that these were endangered. And so, a big way that China was able to accomplish this was through panda diplomacy. Now, the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., you know, it's famous for its baby pandas. And so, how this was all accomplished was that China would occasionally gift other countries pandas to put in some of their most famous zoos. So, then people in all of those countries would go over and say, uh, go over to these zoos, visit the pandas, witness these panda births. And as a result, they might donate to some panda charities. They might just raise awareness. They might buy some sort of stuffed animal that gives some money back to these charities or anything like that that would raise awareness and eventually. Uh, lead to you know more money being funded to the conversation conservation or anything like that
0: Oh that's so that's so nice I, I like that that is I think we can really try to learn from this because like yeah, a lot of the times, you got to have an incentive. Well, thank you so much, Joven, for this great conversation. Sadly, it is time to say farewell. Uh, we give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia O'Brien, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Kids crew, especially our engineer, Matt. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Brigitte Gia.
3: And I'm Jovan Hundle. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For info on our creative community, go to www.bethestarur.org and our main site at www.bethestar.org. Until next week, remember, love animals, be kind, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself.
1: Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself.
3: you would let yourself